0: lester i'm sorry everything this wasn't part of the deal deal what do you mean deal Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. You must have tasted it. It's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 37, which begins with Master interceding on Blaster's behalf, which honestly doesn't really count for much because this minute ends with Master mourning Blaster's death. Wah, wah, indeed.
1: This is a bit of a sad minute. It is. There's lots of things in this minute that I don't really know what to say about them. They're just sad.
0: I'm definitely conflicted about this minute because as sad as it is that Blaster is going to meet his end, I can't be too sad for Master.
1: Master does start to turn around and be more of a sympathetic character, especially starting in this minute. We've seen little bits throughout the fight. But it really wasn't that long ago that Master voluntarily sacrificed Blaster to fight for nothing.
0: Exactly. For no reason. Yeah. We start off this minute. Master, at the very tail end of Friday's minute, was running into the arena and he tossed off his helmet you saying no 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 in this minute he starts off saying no look at his face he's got the mind of a child and it's like are we supposed to suddenly have sympathy for blaster because i definitely don't feel like master was having sympathy for blaster for all those years treating him as his own personal muscle
1: it does seem like the only thing that could turn master around is the very real and very direct threat of losing Blaster, which is still selfish.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, every time you enter the Thunderdome, and I mean, this is the royal you, I'm not calling out anyone specific, but every time a combatant enters the Thunderdome, there is always a chance that they will not win. Master knows how that works. And sure, his big downfall is that he's too proud that he's got this chip on his shoulder that he thinks that everything is always going to go his way and sure he's found himself in a situation where things did not go his way but he can't suddenly i just don't feel like he can suddenly turn around and be like no mercy when he sent blaster after so many other people that were not shown mercy
1: yeah we're shown that Master removes his helmet, which, if I remember correctly, he has not done at all since we first have seen him.
0: Yeah, he's been stomping around in that little samurai getup.
1: Yes. So he removes his helmet, and I see this removal as very symbolic. He is showing vulnerability. Emotionally, he's showing how much he cares for Blaster and how much the risk to Blaster's life actually means to him emotionally, but he's also now physically very vulnerable. Yeah. Not just because he removed his helmet and he could be shot in the head with no defense, but again, Blaster is his muscle, and without it, we're going to see later on in the movie exactly what happens happens to to him when he doesn't have Blaster. So removing his helmet is a definite turning point in the movie for Master
0: I guess once master actually gets up to where blaster is laying, he says that none of this is blasters fault. And then he turns to blaster and apologizes. And I feel like this is an apology that's incredibly overdue. I don't think master has seen blaster as a real person in a long time.
1: I agree. This is one of those instances where I would be very interested in the backstory. Yeah. How they came to be master blaster did Master ever treat Blaster like a real person? What is Blaster's real name? Mm-hmm. Was there ever a time that Master behaved towards Blaster in a way that didn't need apology?
0: Right. That's all stuff that would be very interesting to find out.
1: Yeah, it would be. But with this apology feels a bit too little too late.
0: Oh, Absolutely. Like, I sort of feel that all of the bad stuff that happens to Master after this is not so much punishment for his arrogance, but punishment for how he treated Blaster.
1: Yeah, I'm good with that.
0: All of the suffering that he's going to endure that we're going to talk about in episodes future, I don't think I can muster up any sympathy for him. He's literally made his bed, and now this is him having to sleep in it. These are the chickens coming home to roost. These are any sorts of metaphor (laughs) where comeuppance has arrived. Like this is his punishment for his arrogance and for his abuse of the most important person in his world. Yes. So I, I just can't look at master and be like, Oh, poor guy can't do it from master and blaster. We focus up on max and max turns around to speak to auntie. And he says something that is just so ridiculous. He says, this wasn't part of the deal. And I'm like...
1: Why? Why would you say that in front of the entire group?
0: Not even that. This is absolutely part of the deal. This was the main part of the deal. Without this element of Max killing Blaster, there would be no deal. This is the deal. So he turns on and said, this wasn't part of the deal. No, this was the deal, period.
1: Well, he <laughs> assumed... That he was going out to kill somebody who was powerful and who had a general malicious intent, who was going along with Master willingly. Right. And he comes to find out that he is not going along with Master willingly. That he has the mind of a child and that he is an innocent. That is what wasn't part of the deal. And even before he accepted the deal, the whole reason he went down to Underworld was to scope out his opponent. Right. And he didn't truly come on board with the whole deal till after he had interacted with him and been bullied and manhandled and threatened by Master Blaster. Then he was like, okay, I'm on board. Let's do this without even asking about the rules. But I think he went down there to judge for himself if this was somebody he could kill, both in the physical sense and in the moral sense. Mm -hmm. And he judged Master Blaster killable, Morally, And come to find out, oh, wait, no, there's this different element that morally I can't kill him.
0: I definitely don't see that as Blaster's fault. I definitely see that as Max's fault. And I think... I see that as Auntie's fault. Well, there are a lot of people that are at fault here. I mean, (laughs) we are dealing with a system where murder is the name of the game but i just can't look at this situation and be like oh yeah max this is such a blind side like he had ample opportunity to do more research like he found out a weakness that Blaster had and then immediately went back and agreed to the deal without asking any additional follow-up questions. Yeah. He could have gone back up to Auntie's penthouse and been like, hey, I noticed that Blaster doesn't really say much. Is there a thing about that? Granted, it could have been a secret. It could be that no one really knew that Blaster was simple-minded.
1: I don't think anybody else knew.
0: It does seem like the kind of thing that you would want to keep secret
1: i think that master was the only person that knew
0: yeah i just i can't reconcile the fact that max thinks that killing blaster wasn't part of like handicapped or not and i don't even know if handicapped is the proper term that we use anymore but mentally disabled or not the deal was always kill the big guy So I just, aside from the idiocy of speaking out in the open about the deal, like aside from that, I just, ugh, Max can't rightly say that it wasn't part of the deal. I think-
1: Oh, I, I disagree.
0: I think what we need to do is we should pop back to minute 15 real quick and just go through the three major points of the deal. Okay. That Max made when the collector outlined them. So this is rewinding several weeks back. Let's see, we are in week 13 right now. I'm pretty sure minute 15 was the tail end of week five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was about eight weeks ago, two months ago that we talked about this. So for those of you that don't remember, the first stipulation in this deal as the collector outlined it is that no one knows Max is working for Auntie. Above all else, don't reveal the fact that... That max is working for auntie which he breaks by standing in the middle of thunderdome looking up at auntie and saying this wasn't part of the deal doesn't get much clearer than that the second rule was of course it's a fair fight we talked about how max can't sneak around in the shadows and cloak and dagger this it's got to be big in public okay max bot blaster in a large public arena in front of everybody, but as you've said multiple times, the whistle wasn't truly a fair fight. I still kind of feel that the whistle leveled the playing field, but at the same time, there's a difference between leveling a playing field and tipping scales.
1: I think that yes, the two fighters were not equals, but they both went in there knowing it. Yeah. And that's kind of my point about Blaster. Max didn't go in knowing Blaster's... Situation? Yes, situation.
0: Yeah, there are still many things that Max does not know at this point. That he's going to find out very soon. Yes. (laughs) So, going back to minute 15... The third part of the deal was that it is a fight to the death, not to knocking him over or knocking his helmet off like the death needs to happen. And Max openly refusing to kill Blaster by dropping that hammer and not making any additional aggressions. That's breaking rule number three. Max essentially went back on every single aspect of this deal that he made with Auntie.
1: Yes, he did. He did. Which, if I remember right, if you didn't edit it out, we pointed out in minute 15.
0: Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure I left that in. Okay. It's been eight weeks, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was still in there.
1: So neither of us like this moment for different reasons, for the different rules that have been broken. Two rules are broken here, and I'm stuck on one and you're stuck on the other.
0: Yeah, I think this is just an upsetting minute Either way, the fact that there was such a simple outcome that could have been achieved and Max's hesitation and foolishness ruined it, absolutely ruined it. And Max mentions the deal, Master picks up on Max saying this word and so he tries to get some information, but Auntie looks down at Max and she says, you must have tasted it. It was in your hands. Like... I could make a joke about how Auntie isn't mad, she's just disappointed, but you look at her face in this shot and she looks like there's a fire burning behind her eyes. Like she's trying to hold her composure together, that way she doesn't appear out of control in front of everybody, but you can tell that she is just burning furious.
1: Yes, she is. Behind those eyes. She is. The screenplay goes on for a paragraph or so about what's going through her mind, at this moment it's more about her disbelief that this is actually happening entity rose from her seat leaning forward over the edge of the box ignoring master as she stared at max in incredulous disbelief he couldn't he couldn't be refusing her now not now not when he had actually beaten blaster when with one more blow the one thing she had begun to believe she would never achieve would be accomplished he couldn't be standing there refusing revealing her treachery to the entire town, not the man who could give her what she wanted, the man who had. She would have given him anything, anything he'd asked for. Her white-knuckled fingers clenched over the rails. Max's pale eyes turned back her unspoken demand with the impassive coldness of a glacier, the same diamond-hard thing that lay at the core of his soul, the strength she had sensed that made her believe he would succeed had turned against her when he realized the truth, and she was as certain as she had been then that he would never obey her command now. So, yeah, she's just lamenting that she was so close and she thought she had the right guy. Yeah. And that turned 180 degrees on her. And it doesn't really indicate, and neither does anything else in the novel really indicate whether she knew about Blaster or not. Right. But she doesn't care. Neither does she mention, oh, gosh, can't kill Blaster, He has the mind of a child. She doesn't say anything like that either. I don't think she cares. Either way.
0: Do you think it matters that Blaster is, as they say in Blazing Saddles, just a pawn in the chess game of life?
1: Yes. I think it matters a great deal. Just because he is not as... Mentally capable as master, that doesn't make him stupid by any means. It makes him perhaps more easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. But there is a place in society for him where he can be an equal among his peers, and that is certainly not as Blaster. And he does not have to be a pawn to be useful in this society.
0: Right. There's plenty that he can do.
1: Yes. So placing him in the position of being a pawn and dying for it is... A great disservice, but I would be just as sad watching any other pawn die in the service of auntie or master. I think I'm more sympathetic because he is, I never know the right way to say it, because he is mentally deficient, mentally disabled.
0: I think it's mentally disabled.
1: Okay. But it's just as tragic either way, whether he is or isn't, it's just as tragic.
0: Yeah, I think the tragedy of Blaster's situation comes more from the fact that he was used all of his life. And I have to wonder if Max hesitated in killing Blaster because when Max saw Blaster's face and he saw that Blaster was just more or less kind of like a golem in those old mythology stories, the idea of some sort of clay homunculus that was brought to life in order to smash and destroy without really having too much of concern for its own situation yes i think when he saw that blaster was just a pawn i think it gave him pause firstly because of blaster's mental ability But also because Max realized, oh wait, am I just like Blaster mindlessly destroying because someone else is pulling my strings? Is this who I am? Is this large person on the ground with a faraway look in their eyes what I have become? So I have to wonder, is Max hiding behind the idea that Blaster is mentally disabled As a way to, I guess, save his own sanity. To prove to himself that he isn't just a mindless pawn.
1: I feel like Max is more self-aware than to allow himself to get into that kind of position. Although, playing devil's advocate on my own rebuttal, he went into that agreement fairly quickly.
0: Right. The offer to be completely re-equipped, like you read in the novelization... Auntie would have given him literally everything or anything or however it was. And that was too good of a deal to pass up. And so I think Max coming face to face with the idea of just becoming a straight up wasteland mercenary is what really gave him pause.
1: And, you know, that's what he was afraid of. In the very beginning, he quit the MFP because he didn't want to become just like the people that he was fighting.
0: Yeah, he's been walking around for the last 15, 20 years with this sort of view that he's above it all. (laughs) (laughs) For lack of better phrasing, thinking that he's apart from everybody else that he's not just some wastelander. So being in this situation, realizing, oh, maybe I am just some wastelander. He's thinking, oh, I I can't do this now. This wasn't part of the deal. The idea of giving up his individuality and his humanity to become just one of the other rabble. I can definitely see that being the case.
1: And if that's the case, which you're talking me into your side, your view of things, that may place more meaning in the second half of the movie. Mm -hmm. He starts to have experiences after this that are very, very unique. And and they affect a lot of people. Mm. And maybe this is just the sort of thing that he needed to spend the next 15 years still being a good person. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of spending the next 15 years falling deeper and deeper into that mercenary wastelander Whole.
0: Yeah. Like going back to the first movie, he ended the first movie as an angry and vengeful guy. At the beginning of the second movie, they talked about how he was just a broken shell of a man. His experience in the second movie, yes, he was used, but he also made a sacrifice for the betterment of other people. Like he found his humanity again, this idea that you can work with other people and it may not always come out in your favor, but ultimately he's done some good in this world. And so I feel like that was another big step towards him becoming human once again. And so he spent all of that time and all of that effort to be a good person. And then he gets to this point and realizes, oh no, I've succumbed to the environment. So there's that icy glacier Like the novelization said inside him that has foiled auntie's plans. And speaking of auntie's plans, Master has just found out that there was a deal. And so he's in the Thunderdome shouting at auntie, deal, what do you mean deal?
1: Yeah, and he also says, hey, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Because auntie's not really interested in listening to him right now. She's dealing with Max. Mm -hmm. I found this an interesting twist On the earlier dynamic we saw between Master and Auntie with the whole Who Run Barter Town thing, Mm -hmm. where Master was very much in control of that conversation and very much in control of how Auntie reacted and the things that she said and who heard the things that she said. And the tables have turned and... I think Auntie is kind of abusing that turn a little bit that she's ignoring Master kind of on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you need to wait because you no longer have any power.
0: Right. Like you're no longer in Underworld. You're no longer holding your finger on the switch that turns off all the power. Mm -hmm. Like that weight that you throw around is not accessible to you right now. So you, Master, can wait. Yes. I'm trying to deal with Max right now. And even when Master interrupts her and tries to get some information out of her, she just sits there and stares at him. Like, she's not going to give him the satisfaction of a response.
1: Yes. This scene, it kind of made my chest tighten up like a little panic. Because I can imagine myself in a situation where I have done something wrong. And I know that I've done something wrong. And I'm being confronted by it. And I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. So... I just don't say anything and like I'm panicking on the inside. (laughs) That's what I get from her. But I know that's not what she's thinking. Right. She's stronger than that.
0: I think Auntie's situation here is very politically charged. Like this is not the situation to say I contracted this man to fight your champion in order to kill Blaster. Like that's not something she would ever say in public because it's not something the public needs to know. No. And it's like, why would she sit there and have a James Bond villain monologue moment where she outlines her nefarious plans? And there's also going back to the fact that Master made a fool of her earlier. And you get fooled once, shame on you. Can't get fooled again.
1: Right. She's not going to let that happen a second time. She needs to figure out a way to turn it around and continue to make a fool out of Master. Mm -hmm. Continue to take his power. My big question about this moment is, and this is a foolish question I know, didn't she have any kind of a backup plan?
0: <laughs> like, probably not.
1: What if Max lost?
0: If Max lost, then there would be no implication that she was involved.
1: This And is she true. would
0: probably just go on to try and find another find champion. Find somebody
1: else. Um,
0: this would just go down what... as a another match, another notch in Blaster's belt.
1: So, did she never think about what if she got caught?
0: I think she assumed that the people she chose to work with would be smart enough not to expose her right in the middle of Thunderdome.
1: Yeah, that's stupid. She just met Max. She knows nothing about him. hmm Except that he used to be a police officer.
0: Well, you know, you run a risk making deals.
1: Right, which is exactly why she should have had a backup plan. She should have set up some kind of fall guy or some kind of story or something. Something so that it didn't come to this point where everybody knows what happened yeah and she looks bad really bad
0: Hmm. and master's not satisfied either he without any more questioning or demanding for answers he shouts no more methane this place finished and he does that thing where it's i think it's called the bras donor the thing that we saw the gyro captain do when he dropped a molotov on humongous he slapped his arm and raised it up at Ani just to add extra insult to this threat. The Cinema Sins guys, when they watched this scene, Mm -hmm. they gave it a sin because Master is doing the incredibly stupid thing of threatening someone from a position of weakness. He's basically in a giant cage telling the most powerful person in town that he is going to shut off their power permanently.
1: Yes, it is pretty foolish. Well, at this point, Blaster's still alive. Right. He hasn't been shot yet. So at this point, Master hasn't really changed the way he's thinking about his situation. Yeah. He is still Master Blaster, and they still have a lot of power. It
0: just is so foolish that he would think that they would just be allowed to get up and walk away. Like, the rules of two men enter, one man leave are still in effect. There are still two men in that dome, and only one of them is going to leave. And at this point, only one of them is lying on their back. Right. With little stars and birds going around their head.
1: Yeah. I suppose he is assuming or hoping that because Max spilled the beans, then he loses by default and will be taken care of. Yeah, as it's... punishment that he doesn't actually have to be killed by blaster he'll be killed in another way which is exactly the opposite of what happens
0: yeah i just ex- i guess i expect more of a guy who's supposed to be so smart that he's tiny you know what i mean yes like that's the whole idea behind masters the fact that yes he's small he's got dwarfism but at the same time he's incredibly intelligent and it just it's such a foolish move that he makes, and it's actually kind of disappointing.
1: Yeah, I, I would have hoped that he'd been more strategic about it, and perhaps if he had been more strategic about it, Blaster might still be alive.
0: Right, because as we're looking at Master, say that Barter Town is finished, we hear off-screen Iron Ironbar, who says, no, little man, we've only just begun. And Ironbar levels a handheld crossbow at Blaster. He's got a handheld crossbow, and he's got a larger crossbow that he's holding down at his waist. And he fires both of them at Blaster, They pierce Blaster's abdomen. Blaster does this horrible lurch, and it's kind of hard to watch. And Master spins around to look at Blaster, and it's honestly, what else did he expect to happen? I know that we've already discussed he expected to just have Max taken care of so they can leave, but now Blaster is just lying there, bleeding out. And based on where those arrows hit, that's going to be a painful death.
1: It is. My big question is why is it okay that Iron Bar killed Blaster? Yeah. He's not part of the two men that entered, mm-hmm. so he has no right to kill Blaster. And Thunderdome is the only way that murder is okay in this society. Yeah. So if it is okay that Iron Bar killed Blaster because of this situation, that it gives Auntie the cover to ignore it and just move forward with whatever. Why didn't they simply manufacture this type of setup before? They didn't need somebody who could defeat Blaster. They just needed somebody to cheat. Yeah. And to stop the fight and for the fight to be declared unfair.
0: I feel like what needed to happen is for Auntie's guards to go into Thunderdome, drag Master out of Thunderdome, And basically lock the door again and say, hey, it's two men enter, one man leave. You just gave up a golden opportunity, and they're talking to Max at this point, to kill your opponent. We're going to let your opponent gather themselves and get up, because neither of you are leaving until one of you is dead. That would have been so much more in line with the spirit of two men enter, one man leave.
1: Yeah. Basically
0: putting Max in a giant cage saying the only way you're getting out is murder.
1: That... Makes me wonder how Blaster might have changed without a helmet. Would his fighting style have changed? Would the way Max fights against him change? Would the way the people are cheering for one side or the other, would that change? Mm -hmm. It would have been a completely different dynamic to the fight. And I do think that that was the right thing to do in this society and their laws would be to force the fight. Right. But Iron Bar takes that all away, and nobody bats an eye.
0: Yeah. I feel like far too few people are upset by what Iron Bar does.
1: The people, the masses, are really, really into the two-men-enter, one-man-leaves rule. And Iron Bar violated that rule. But it's okay.
0: Yeah, I've got a bit of a problem with that. Yes! I think it might be one of the first big things that I have a problem with in this movie. Yeah. Is Iron bars interruption of this fight. I feel like it would have made for a really interesting setup if they just said, all right, put a padlock on the doors. We're going to sit here and we're going to wait. We're going to wait this out. And then Max would have to sit there and deliberate and think, I could starve to death in here because they're never going to let me out. Mm-hmm. Type of thing.
1: It would have been very interesting to force Max to face this moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. And to face his own humanity. Yeah. Along the lines of how you were talking before about Max looking in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, what have I become? Well, now he has to face that and he has to... Act on what he feels he has become. And now it's a life or death situation. He has to make a decision. It would have been very interesting.
0: I have to wonder if that's the direction they would have gone in if Max hadn't spilled the beans about the deal.
1: That certainly did change things, but really only for Auntie and Master. Yeah. The people didn't seem to care about the deal.
0: Yeah, there wasn't really any rumbling from the crowd.
1: No. And even in upcoming minutes, when Auntie brings up the idea of break a deal, face the wheel, the people are a little bit slow to get on board with that. They were probably like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing that. I guess we're not doing Thunderdome anymore. I guess we're doing the wheel now. Yeah. They wanted to see Thunderdome. Thunderdome was much more fun than the wheel. Mm-hmm.
0: Getting back into the minute. We're at that point where Blaster is just lying there and Master is leaned over and he's crying and saying, oh, no, 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 that type of thing. We get another shot of Auntie and her allies sitting up there on the balcony. There's not much I want to say about this shot of them standing up there, except that Iron Bart takes the handheld crossbow that he's holding and he blows on the front of it Uh, as if he's blowing away gun smoke in a Western movie.
1: It's really quite foolish looking.
0: Yeah, he was probably trying to look cool by doing it, but at the same time, I don't know. It just seems a little played out.
1: It really does. A cliche. It's, it's not even applicable. Mm-hmm. It's a little showy.
0: It is. Like
1: you really want to be arrogant while you just murdered a man?
0: Yeah, someone that was on their back. Like, come on. You can pretend to blow away gun smoke when you do an amazing one thousand and one shot where you're driving headlong at someone and you're using a wrist mounted crossbow attached to a severed arm that you pulled out of your own shoulder like if you land that shot sure you can blow across the front of your crossbow and say oh yeah i'm good but come on iron bar come on yeah what are you doing
1: he had every advantage
0: Mm-hmm. But back in the floor of the Thunderdome, Master is weeping openly over Blaster. And I can't help but feel like this could have all been prevented if Master had not sent Blaster in there as an attack dog in the first place. Like, Blaster died because Master had an ego trip.
1: Absolutely. And there are several points along the story that we've seen so far where Master could have made different choices and it wouldn't have led to Blaster's death. Mm -hmm. But he made a series of choices because he was arrogant. And as you said, he's on an ego trip. And they inevitably led to Blaster's death.
0: So I just, no sympathy. I I know I've said it multiple times this episode, but yeah, no sympathy for Master at all. Like I can feel sad that Blaster had to, pardon the cliched term, but bite the bullet in this situation, but yeah, not sad for Master at all. We're going to leave Master to weep and cry over Blaster's body. Next time around, when we come back on Wednesday, we're going to see Max. He's going to try and exit the Thunderdome, but he's going to find the way blocked. And uh, thanks to Pig Killer, apparently public opinion is going to swing in Max's favor, prompting Auntie to take a bit of a leap <laughs> to change that. So that'll be Wednesday. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
1: Thank you for joining us for a minute 37 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time. Ah!